this is Reaching the Finish Line. And I'm your host, Callan Dix. Check out the website, www.reachingthefinishline.com. And pick up my free report. Save up to 75% what they don't want you to know. ReachingTheFinishLine.com And welcome. Today, I am delighted to have Anna Schlegel. Anna is the author of Truly Global, the theory and practice of bringing your company to international markets. This is definitely something, you know, if you're trying to reach the finish line in your career with your startup and you're having some uh, moderate success in the U.S. or maybe you think uh, it may be better to go into another market or start a team in other markets, uh, I think this, I think Anna have some paramount information that you can definitely use in your startup. Anna, welcome. Thank you. Nice to meet you, Colin. Thank you. Great. Let's go back in time, Anna. You know, you know what developed your interest for for this type of subject? Was there any type of uh, you know work experience relations? Did, did this topic did this topic always fascinated you? Let's start with that. All right. Yeah. Good question. Thank you. So I grew up in a border town in Europe. I grew up um, in an area that's called Catalonia, Catalonia, ah, which is between okay. Spain. Spain and France. And so there was always this vision of, you know, people from different cultures and a lot of uh, people coming to the beach in the summer from, you know, from England and Denmark and Sweden. And at the same time, I would see a lot of African um, immigrants coming into Europe for work in the winter. And so I, I was always fascinated by like, oh my God, there's all these nationalities and languages and uh, there is a lot of people that don't look like me. And, um, you know, and, and since very, very little, I, I saw this. And uh, I grew up speaking different languages at home as well. So I think that just kind of took me to a place of understanding how to work together with people in from other countries or other cultures or other towns. So it's always been there since uh, very small, I think. Indeed. And the book is, if you haven't heard of it, it's called Truly Global. Uh, the book is about inter, inter, uh, enterprise globalization and it's also uh, based on your experience uh, working in uh, geo-alignment, uh, localization, and globalization. Let's talk about some of your experience in working in those sectors. Sure. So I came to the States when I was 23. I moved uh, after I finished my studies. And uh, the first company that I worked for uh, was called Cisco, Cisco Systems. It's a pretty big networking uh, telecommunications giant here in the Bay Area in California. And um, that was my first time of look, seeing an enterprise at that time. This was in the 90s, was not a very global company. They were just getting started in entering, you know, different markets. So I was part of the first team that did that. And so I learned a lot there. There were not a lot of massive American companies in the 90s that had, you know, a footprint in like more than 20 countries. And so going from like 20 countries 
countries to 40 to 50 to 150 countries you know it's quite something so i was very lucky to you know go from cisco to other engineering companies to go even i worked at xerox for a while um where you know xerox is a massive giant enterprise that has gone global in a huge way and so that's how i learned that's how i learned uh, working through all these american companies to see what is it that they wanted to do to to make more money and to have a bigger footprint and to have more brand recognition internationally um, has been um, very nice and very interesting to see. Um, and that's how I learned, you know, working at these different companies. Indeed. Anna, what is corporate globalization and how does one run it? So corporate globalization is a few things. So it's understanding where your CEO or presidents mm-hmm. want to be in the world. So you need not two companies choose the same countries to do business in. Um, so corporate globalization needs to understand, number one, the set of countries that a company wants to be in. So, for example, Netflix today has publicly said, you know, they want to be in 200 countries and they have a roadmap to be in, in even more countries. And so then once you understand these set of countries, you need to line up everybody to make that possible. And so to run it, you can have a team that's called a globalization team that looks like a a central organization, you know, similar to HR or IT or marketing or legal, that actually looks at what is it going to take for the company to be successful in Japan and in China and in Spain and in Russia and in Korea and in South Africa. And so the it's a discipline. It's not to just leave unattended. And so it needs a group of people that have looked at how do you make a product successful in a variety of countries? And that takes a lot of different things. It, it goes around the company is how are you going to sell this product around the world? How are you going to make sure that global trade compliance is set up? Uh, there's a lot of translations and localization involved because people in Japan want to see things in Japanese. Uh-huh. There is a lot of support um, involved as well because people will want to return, complain, exchange, upgrade, migrate your content, your product, right? So you need to involve all the support teams. Uh, If your product needs to be engineered, so you need to be very close, uh, closely aligned with the engineering teams so that the, the products that they are building will work outside of your country Um, you know there's uh, engineering products that maybe are encrypted and so they wouldn't be able to work in Russia or they wouldn't you know the Chinese government would not accept them let's let's talk about you touched Mm -hmm. on uh, the importance of a globalization team now the question Anna is is it a, is a globalization team for every corporation, uh, or, or, or perhaps the better question is, who needs a globalization team? You know, would it be a good fit for a startup? Is it only for you know Fortune 500 companies? Let's talk about that. 
Yeah. So Fortune 500 companies do have globalization teams. Mm-hmm. Go global. It's gonna look like they might have a translations manager, mm. or they might have a person in the web team that puts the website in different languages. And so that's that's how you start, um, and that's okay. Um, now some more some the really clever companies and startups that know that they will go global eventually they embed some critical thinking from the get-go and so for example if you're creating an app or you're creating an engineering product or um, you know a website or something that you know is going to have to go global you should start from the very beginning to envision what will that take because maybe the way the developers are coding the product might cause a problem in a year or two or three down the line that you can avoid from day one and so there's some practices for startups um, that i describe in the book of things that you can do that when you are ready to go into Germany or into China or into, you know, Japan, you will have done a lot of the the hard work already. Um, And what happens to many, many, many American companies today is that they don't do that. They are like, we're in the US, we, we don't plan to go global. And then the day they plan to go global, they can't do it fast enough. They will, but they might delay it for a year mm-hmm. or two years because the products are hard coded or encrypted or they're not well explained or the support teams in different countries haven't been trained. There's no collateral, there's no materials. And so it takes a lot of little pieces to make this successful. Start with a free audiobook. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to click on the Audible banner to get your free audiobook. You may not have a lot of free time, but you can definitely listen to a book on a plane, on the bus, or even while you're driving. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to click on the Audible banner to get your free audiobook. Start reaching the finish line with your free audiobook. Indeed. You, you talk about, you know, uh, how a lot of corporations think that they don't have to go global. And unfortunately, I think a lot of times that's because they think that uh, the U.S. is an extremely large market. And, you know, you know, be, being the fact that they're already in the U.S., that uh, they don't foresee and uh, doing business elsewhere. So they kind of, in a way, close themselves off. But as you stated before, you know, once they once they actually been in business for a while and see that, you know, it's better to, you know, uh, do business elsewhere as it may make more sense for their business. As you said, it's, it's kind of often hard for them uh, to catch up. And oftentimes they're unprepared. And uh, it's, it's the reason why uh, it's the reason why they're not really able uh, to really make a smooth transition as they uh, glow on global kind of stay on the topic. It it can happen. Yeah, 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 it can happen. And, um, you know, and 
it's doable, mm -hmm. but it's going to take longer. And you're right, you know, many, many companies, it doesn't matter if it's the US or Italy or whatever, many companies start and they don't start knowing or thinking that they are going to cross a border. Mm -hmm. But sometimes an opportunity or networking or, you know, the, the, the maturity of the company is going to pick the curiosity of like, what if we sold something to the country next door? And so many companies start, and um, me being from the from Europe, right? Many European companies will start selling. Let's say your companies in Belgium, they will start selling to Luxembourg, or they will start selling to Holland, or they will start selling in Germany. And that's how they learn. You learn one country at a time. Um, and then you have some other companies, you know, like typically the companies that sell content like Netflix or Facebook or that leave out of web content, they have a much easier way of going global because they need to globalize the website. They um, empower the support teams. They train the salespeople. They have chats. They have it's, it's an easier thing to do. And it's very different to globalize a LinkedIn or a Facebook or a Twitter than to globalize, you know, IBM or Oracle or VMware. These are very different beasts and it takes a lot of different skills to do this sort of uh, company globalization. But um, it's doable and, and you're right. I mean, there is a lot of great products. If you have a great product, chances are you want more people to have your product and to play with your product and usually that means you're going to have to get out of your own country indeed stand on stand on a topic of global now you know uh you know that's something that you talk about throughout your book but you also talk about geo alignment now you know going global you know could just mean just doing your business in another country or two but you know from what it sounds like geo alignment sounds to be more strategic what is geo alignment anna you're right. It is, it is something I came up with a few years ago. So, as you said, you know, going global does mean that you localize your websites and you empower your support teams and you create marketing collateral and you create demand generation kits and you clean up your search engines and you can manufacture your products somewhere and you can sell them and return them, all of that. Now, one thing that I observed is that, um, and I've observed these mainly in American companies, is you push a lot of content, you push a lot of product, and push, 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 and chances are that your company has less people outside of the U.S. than in the U.S. Uh, offices. So let's say the U.S. headquarters usually have thousands of people. And then you have maybe an office in France with like 50 people and an office in China with 100 people and an office in Japan with 70 people. The thousands of people at the U.S. headquarters are pushing content, product, information, ideas, visions, missions, goals, statements to these smaller offices that simply cannot keep up. And so the notion of 
you know, you can't imagine a visual of a, a baseball player pitching a ton of baseballs. And then you can, there is somebody in Russia trying to catch all these balls. And they can't. There's not enough people catching all these ideas and missions and objectives and products and things that they need to sell. So then I'm like, whoa, so how are we going to do this? Like, how are so many thousands of people in the U.S. spilling their brains out and, and putting so many ideas for all these smaller offices to comply with what all these executives want? And so I came up with this concept of geo-alignment. And geo-alignment is you need to come to grips with the idea that you're simply telling these offices way too much information and giving them too many offerings that they cannot keep up because they're not the same number of people. And so what you need to do is we created a team of geo-aligners that actually summarize and debrief the country offices and say, look, headquarters is coming out with these 10 new versions of these 20 new products. What is important and relevant for you so that you can actually really drive that successfully? Um, let's say a marketing team has 20 campaigns. Mm -hmm. A smaller office will not be able to adopt and run these 20 campaigns. Mm -hmm. And so the geo-alignment process starts to align and connect the headquarters teams with the reality on the ground of there is too much. And so what is enough and what is the right amount of de demand generation and products for a, a particular country to drive. For sure. And uh, as far as you alignment, you know, you know, you you you, st you, st you um you, you articulated very well, and that kind of goes into, um, you know, for example, I mean, there's so many different types of corporations. You know, you have like a you have like a software company, and do you have like a coaching and training, uh, consulting uh, firm? You have these different types of uh, businesses. But you know, perhaps what, what would be some advice that you could offer to really help companies target which countries to focus on? Yeah, so that usually comes through a chief strategy officer mm -hmm. or a chief globalization uh, person within the company or even the executive vice president of sales. They usually have operation teams that will know a couple things. So they will know what an enterprise market looks like for a company. They will know what emerging countries are for that company and they will know what countries are no-nos like th there's some countries that you don't even want to do business in due to political situations or you know political reasons um, and so you can map sets of countries depending on the company you are again and it's very different if you're in retail for or sure. if you're in engineering or if you're an online yeah. you know, social media, but companies that do this and then show these groupings of countries 
it really helps internally because then the employees know, okay, we have 20 countries to hit or we have 100 countries to hit. You plan very differently, right? Indeed. I would definitely say that if, you know, one way probably makes it easier is uh, the wonderful episode. You can get it when you become our premium radio subscriber. Go to reachingthefinishline.com forward slash buy to get your subscription today. What do you get? You get things like early access to the episodes, commercial-free one-hour episodes, mastermind calls with our guests, freebies from our guests, as well as much more. Go to reachingthefinishline.com forward slash buy to get your premium subscription for it's another way for you to start reaching your finish line. You know, which languages, uh, you know, what's the proficiency of the languages, especially on the yeah. e- executive level? You know, so, 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 if you have an ex- so if you have a pretty good executive and uh, he or she speaks Spanish, that, uh, and, you know, she's been with you for a while and, or he's been with you for a while and they proved their loyalty, uh, that can definitely be a great way to target the Spanish market. But if a corporation, you know, especially on the executive level, if it's just a bunch of people who only know English, then I think that might be an mm-hmm. easier way for a company to say, well, let's just focus on other countries that speak English or English is a strong second language. What would you say to that? So there's many, many companies that focus first on English speaking countries. Mm-hmm. So if you're an Australian company and you want to start going global, well, maybe you will want to start in Singapore and mm-hmm. you will want to start in the U.S. You can sell in the U.K. Mm-hmm. That is Uh, those are very strong countries and you can leverage the English very, very well like that. Now, um, yeah, so that's a way of doing that. And many products, even in overly globalized companies, start like that. They they test it out in um, relatively easy setups where you don't need to include translations or localization. For sure. So we did talk about... um we did talk about, you know, going global and you talked about, you know, some of the people that perhaps you should have when you're team to consider going global. Maybe you have a chief a globalization officer or maybe you have the, you know, vice president of sales and you want him to run that. Um, you know, let's talk more about that, you know, you know, because we kind of talked about, you know, how to actually get into it. But it's almost in a way you have to take a step back because you have to have the right talent. Uh, to help your company go global. So, you know, how does a company hire the right talent to help them go global? I am going to say that many, many companies don't pay a lot of attention to this. Mm-hmm. Now, there's many, many companies that do. Okay, so if you want to work for Google, you know that the products are going to go global in a huge way, right? You want to work for PayPal or eBay. These are massively... Uh, global companies, uh, but these are the top 100. I think there is thousands of companies that don't pay much attention to this. So if you know, if you're the CEO, if you're the head of HR, and you know that your company is going to have to go global, you need to find talent that has seen global enacted well. And so the way to do that is you embed those questions in your interview and your process of hiring. You do want executives that have successfully introduced products and ideas and missions in a variety of countries, not just one or two. You want, if you're going global and these are your 
executive vice presidents, senior vice presidents, vice presidents, senior directors, even director levels. These are the people that, you know, make the decisions and have the funding. And so they need to know what will it be to enter or to be successful in a variety of countries. So you need to find these people that have done this before, because we do see it all the time that we um, see executives in many different companies that they don't know how to do it because they haven't done it before, not because they're, you know, not extremely clever and intelligent people, but they haven't done it before. For sure. And if you're just tuning in, we have one, Anna Schlegel. She's the author of Truly Global, the theory and practice of bringing your company to international markets. And we talked about a lot, and this book is definitely uh, very comprehensive. Uh, but probably my final question uh, that I will ask Anna uh, is, uh, you know, for, you know, what are some of the best practices uh, for employees that are working global? Because oftentimes, you know, there could be a lot of, let's say, uh, cultural differences. And uh, that can definitely, uh, you know, you know, throw a cork in the machine or kind of, you know, clog things up when sometimes one company failed to understand the culture of another country. Uh, what, what we, uh, you know, I mean, that's probably just maybe one among many things. But what would you say some best practices are for employees who are working globally? Find out who needs to help your product be successful locally. So, for example, if you work at a headquarters and you are in charge of, you know, global support or global a specific product, find out who is in charge of selling that in Japan and have a phone call with them and just be open and see how things are working out for them. Because they might be able to refine your requirements, give you ideas on how it could be done differently, better, or, you know, maybe you're nailing it already. But I think the one advice would be connect with somebody in another country. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's definitely uh, good advice. As we come to a close, Anna, if people want to get in touch with you or if they want to follow you, uh, how could they do that? Thank you. So they can uh, buy the book Truly Global through Amazon. I am on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Anna Papalona, which is A-N-N-A-P-A-P-A-L-L-O-N-A. There is a site for the book. I think it's uh, trulyglobalbusiness.com, trulyglobalbusiness.com. Yeah, so those are some of the ways. I'm on LinkedIn as well as Anna Schlegel. For sure. And uh, this, this book has uh, 22 chapters, and we just really touched on uh, really a portion of it. So I definitely recommend that you give that a look. Anna, thank you for being our guest. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Just another great episode by Callan Diggs, best-selling author and career strategist at seen at Fast Company and Inc. Magazine. If you're not on an email list, you're missing out. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and subscribe to get all the exclusives.